And the church said, amen, amen. I thank the worship team for uh, what they do, help set up a, an atmosphere of worship and allows us to worship. And uh, I thank you, I thank them for being so uh, willing to adjust things at the last minute for a pastor that walks in about 15 minutes before service and says, I'd like to hear it as well with my soul today. So thank you, Annie, and that team for pulling that together for me. Reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 25 through 31. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. You heard that I said to you, I go away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Now I have told you before it happens, so that when it happens, you may believe. I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of the world is coming, and he has nothing in me. But so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. Get up, let us go from here. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for the truth that it is. We thank you for this 14th chapter of John and all of the promises that were made there by Jesus to the disciples, all those promises that were fulfilled, that are being fulfilled, some of those promises that he made to them, we are benefactors of today. Thank you so much, Lord. Thank you for your word. Use your word today to penetrate the heart of someone here who desperately needs to hear from you. Use this feeble servant in the pulpit today to speak the truth from your word, that it may go out and change the lives of your people, both in the building and online today as they watch. Oh, I believe your word can go out over the online, and I believe you can change people. Use your word now to do that in the precious name of your Son, and my Lord and Savior, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. So I read that full passage to you because that was my responsibility to do, but the Lord laid it on my heart this week to speak out of one verse in this passage. It happens to be right in the middle of all of that, and it's at verse 27. And I titled the sermon, Transcendent Peace. Transcendent Peace. I'm going to lay a little bit of a foundation as we walk through this of what peace looks like, what the world says it looks like, the pursuit of it by the world, and then what God says about peace and what he gave us in this verse. First thing you might recognize in the verse is that peace is used twice. It's, it's in there two times, and um, it's, it's very sought after. That term is very sought after, peace. 
How many of you want peace today? All of you. How many of you think the world wants peace? The average person that you know, your neighbor, your friends at work, the different, your family, they want peace. They seek after peace. They, they're trying to pursue it. It's pursued by our society. And I cannot disagree with the pursuit of it. But in my lifetime, which is not real long, depending on how old you are, you'll agree with me on that. But in the grand scheme of things, it's, I've only been alive 63 years. But in my lifetime, I cannot remember a time where there was peace. I can't remember a time where there was peace. I think when I was born, the Korean War was going on. And I, don't, I only know about the wars in our country. We had the Vietnam War when I was in high school. And we had the War of Pakistan and all the different ones that we've had. And that just counts for the ones that I know of as far as an American, the different battles that we've been involved in. So I did a little study, went and found some information about peace and the pursuit of it. And I, I think that apart from God, there is no peace. There just is no peace. Apart from him, there's no peace. The world can pursue it all they want. They can try all they want to have peace. It's not going to happen. And look at the evidence. Instead of peace, we see what? Turmoil, chaos, dissension. That's the world we're living in today. How many of you thought 10 years ago that we would be living with the things that we're living with now? No, you couldn't have imagined it. You couldn't have imagined it. And if you go back 20 or 30 years, you would not imagine we'd be where we're at today. But still, we pursue it. The world today, we see no personal peace. I don't see peace amongst families. I don't see peace in the workplace. I don't see it in the local areas. I don't see it in the state. I don't see it in a government at all. I see no peace. And it's not just about today, and it's not just about the last 10 years, but if we look at it historically, I found this article, and it's a, it's a group. They put out this book called The Lessons of History. And I believe the people that wrote it, their name was Korans. They calculated in the last 3,500 years. Now, that means longer than any of us have been alive, correct? None of you are more than about 3,500 years old, right? So in the past 3,500 years, they calculated that we've only had 300 years of peace in the world. That's about 8% of the time in the last 3,500 years where there's actually been peace. And I heard one guy say that during that 300 years, everybody was just reloading their guns to get ready for another war. That's laughable if it wasn't true almost, isn't it? You come out, you think you got peace, and the next thing you know, we're right back in it again. It's a human condition. And then I went even a little further, just to depress you even more. In the last five and a half millennials, so the last 5,500 years, as best they can gather the information, 14,000 wars have been fought 
14,000 wars. And approximately 4 billion deaths in those wars. That's two-thirds of our world population today. And I might be wrong, might be a little less than two-thirds, but it's somewhere around that number. The pursuit of peace on the global level seems to be failing miserably. Because we keep looking for a fix. We're looking for a temporal fix. Everything that the world offers is very temporary. Just look at our country. On a national level, here in America, we seem to be having more troubles as a society than we ever imagined possible. We seem to get along worse than we did yesterday. We, we crop up more things to disagree on than I can imagine. You know, we used to be able to... Don't want to go talk about used-to-be's. Yeah, I think we can. We used to be able to sit down and you have a Republican opinion and I had a Democratic opinion and we could still get along. We could actually talk in peace. I don't know if we can do that today. I, I, I hesitate to even say what party I'm from. So I just say I'm a whatever. But listen to this. And, and listen, I, I wrote this down. We want to blame COVID for all of our problems. All of the turmoil and the chaos and all of the things going on today, we're all going to blame it on COVID. And I will tell you that I believe that accelerated it, but I don't think it's the problem. I don't think it's the problem. We have in America, in America, we have over 2 million people incarcerated right now. 2 million, more than 2 million people are in jails or in prison. This is in a country where we have everything, including the highest rate of incarcerations in the whole globe. And we say we're looking for peace. We want peace. What do we have in America? High divorce rates, gangs, riots, tensions and anxieties at an all-time high. Not a pretty picture, is it? Not a pretty picture. Peace in our cities is what we're after. Our communities, our families, this is what we desire. We want this. Our relationships, peace in the world. To be free from the troubles that exist. Still stress, threats, fear, anxiety, depression, despair, conflict is all around us. It's everywhere. Everywhere you look, turn on your TV. Pick whatever news channel you want. It's all depressing to me. And none of it speaks of peace. The media sells non-peace. They sell turmoil. They sell chaos. And sadly, it's not just in the world. Not just out in the world. It's crept into the church. It's in the church today. Chaos, turmoil, disagreements, dissensions, all in the church today. And it's not brand new, guys. It's been going on for a while. It goes way, way back. 
So it's not about just where we're at today. Now, you're probably saying to yourself, wait a minute, now listen, I, I joined you online today, or I came today because I thought we come together, according to Hebrews 10, 25, to encourage one another. I thought we did that. And, uh, I, I'm, and right now, Larry, uh, Pastor Larry, I'm depressed a bit over what you're saying. Well, that's okay. Thanks for staying with me long enough to hear this. There is good news. And there's good news because we have good news. And that good news will give us the peace that Christ is promising us right here in this verse, in verse 27 of the 14th chapter of John. So I want to give you a little definition of what the Bible says peace is. Look at that compared to what the world says the peace is, and then we'll walk into this passage. Here's what the, the Old Testament says. And, and look, how many of you, I did this in the first service, and I was amazed, almost everybody knew it. What do you know of a term from the Old Testament that means peace. What's that word, that, that Hebrew word? Shalom. Shalom. Here's the definition of shalom. Now, this is the Larry Howard definition. I gathered it from all kinds of spots, so it's kind of my little phraseology, so stay with me. It means, when I say shalom to you, it means I wish for you all that is good. I wish for you all that is blessed, all that brings satisfaction, fulfillment, completeness, and contentment. That sounds really good, doesn't it? No wonder they greet each other that way. But do they have what they're saying? In the New Testament, the word used for peace is the word Aaron, E-R-I-N, and it comes, the, the feminine name Irene is derived from that term. And this is what it means in the, in the Greek. It, des, it describes a tranquil state of the soul a soul at rest, a satisfied soul. Now, when we go outside that biblical version of what peace looks like, when we come to a more secular or worldly view of peace, I was amazed when I looked at that how all the terms for peace to describe it in those worldly terms are kind of negative terms. It's the absence of it's the, so I'll, I'll, let me give you a few. The absence of hostility. The absence of unrest or conflict. Not the positive part of peace, but the absence of something. The, the absence of what troubles him. So that just kind of gives you a little short definition of what peace is like in the Bible, what God says peace is, and then what the world says peace is. And they are directly opposite of each other. Now, I titled this sermon, Transcendent Peace. And I, I looked up the word transcendent before I used that title, so I would have an idea what I was saying in the title. And it says this, exceeding usual limits. To transcend means exceeding usual limits, surpassing the limits. Extending or lying beyond the limits of ordinary experience. And then I, of course, like this one. It's the transcendent means being beyond comprehension. It takes you above, above anything you can imagine. That's the peace that Christ says in this passage that he's going to give you. So I'm going to walk through here. I have four distinct things I want to show you. Um, I say distinct uh, aspects. We call them in, in preaching, we call them points. 
all right? But I'm going to show you these four aspects that I find in the verse, and uh, we'll look at those, and, and we'll walk through it together, okay? So, so the first aspect that I want to show you is that the nature of peace, and it's found in those first, uh, this, this statement here. Peace, I leave with you. Peace, I leave with you. Now, let's, let's just take a look real quick. He's talking to the disciples, whose faith, if you've been with us for very long, he has to keep propping up their faith. Because he keeps telling them things that they can't comprehend. They, they just don't understand fully what he's saying all the time. And, um, and so that's why verse 26 was important in this, that the, the spirit of truth would come on them and he would teach them all things. He would, they would remember all the things that Christ had told them. And they, he would teach them all the things that Christ had told them. Because they heard Christ, and they were trying to comprehend it, but without the Holy Spirit's help, they could not grasp everything. So with the Holy Spirit, there was a, a possibility, and that, of course that Holy Spirit would not come on them until after Christ had been crucified, resurrected, and had ascended, and all of that had to take place before the Holy Spirit came in them. But he tells them that ahead of time, so that when it takes place, that's verse 28, I think it is, or 29. When this takes place, they'll remember it, and it'll help them build their faith up. All right. So there's, first point is the nature of peace. Peace I leave with you. Two aspects of this peace that, that Christ is talking about. It's objective and it's subjective. The objective is one standing before God. You can't have the kind of peace that Christ is talking about unless you have a standing before God that is correct. Okay? So, and then the subjective says the believer's experiencing that peace in their everyday life. There is no peace for anyone who is not at peace with God. So the subjective, obviously called subjective because it's subjective to the objective. The objective says you cannot have peace without a right relationship with God the Father. You cannot have it. You will not have peace without that relationship being correct. The subjective says, and then you won't get to experience it, obviously, if you don't have the objective. You've got to be right with God to be able to experience it in your, in your life. So it's transactional. This peace is transactional. Yes, I leave it with you. Peace I leave you. Now, these men needed some peace in their life. They had just lived through the upper room discourse was not real pleasant for them necessarily. The washing of their feet, they didn't understand. He had to explain it to them. The, the taking of the Lord's Supper there at the Passover, where he defined those different elements, the, all the different teachings that he's teaching them, they're grasping some of it but not all of it. But this, when the Holy Spirit comes, then they're going to understand things, and they're going to get this peace. So it's transactional. The peace is a deposit. This peace is a deposit or a gift from God given to them, given to us, actually. We're going to see that because I'm going to take you over here to John 7. Well, I won't do it. I'm just going to say they, th This peace is a deposit. They are not earning it or finding it. They're not said, they're not told by Jesus, go find peace. No, no, no. I'm just going to give it to you. It's just going to be a gift from me. In chapter 17, in his prayer after their discourse, after this upper room discourse, in chapter 17, he says, not only for those 
give them all that you're giving me, not only for these who are with me currently, the disciples and the other followers, but all who will believe. Who's the who will believe? That's all of you. If you place faith in Christ, that's you. So you get all these aspects by placing faith in Christ. So what is this peace? How do, we, how do you attain that peace? By a right relationship with the Father. By, through Jesus Christ, reconciled to the Father. So let's look at Romans 5. And we're going to look at verse, well, let's look at 4. We'll go up into 4 a little bit and come down into, I'm looking for 5, 1 through about 4. But let me go up a little bit. Uh, let's go up to verse 20 of, uh, of chapter 4. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able to also perform. Therefore, it was also credited to him as righteousness. Now, not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, but for our sake also to whom it will be credited as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. Here we go. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have enmity with God. Well, don't you see? We have chaos. No, no, what do we have? Peace. It's through the justifying work of the reconciliation that God accepted from Christ, and now you're justified because you place your faith in that. You say, I'm putting faith in the fact that Jesus Christ died on a cross, just like each one of these candidates that came up here. They're saying, we believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. I could not get anywhere near him on my own. I could never get to heaven. I could get about a foot off the ground. I used to be able to get further than that, but at my age now, I can only get about a foot off the ground. But with him, I can get all the way there. With what Christ did on a cross for me, if I place saving faith in that, I'm saying, if you're here today and you go, what does that mean, that saving thing? I'm not sure what you're talking about, Pastor. It means that you realize that you are in need of a Savior. You will not get to heaven without Jesus. You just got to know that. If you don't believe anything's wrong with your life, you're not going to accept it. You got to know, I need a Savior. And then you're going to place faith in this, that he came, born of a virgin, came down here, lived on earth, and for 33 years he walked the face of the earth. He completed the fulfillment of the law. He completed everything his father asked him to do. And in that process, he went to a cross on your behalf. He was murdered brutally. He was an innocent man, murdered brutally by men that shouldn't have killed him. But it was part of the God's, his father's plan. And then he was buried. And on the third day, he rose up again. And guess what? And then he ascended on high and 500 witnesses watched him go up. It's not just me talking, people. There were witnesses that saw it happen. 
And so that's what you need to play. If you have that and you believe that, guess what? I got a promise for you today. If you believe that, you are justified before God. You are justified before him today. If you believe that. But you have to put whole faith in that. And don't add anything to it. You'll just mess it up. It's his work. Why would you try and add to the omnipotent one's handiwork? Don't try and put works in there. It doesn't work. Your works are, are just meaningless. They're like filthy rags. But his work gets you justified, gets you reconciled to the Heavenly Father. And the way I read that verse, oh, there's more to it. I stopped short. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. We exult in the hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we exult in our tribulations, knowing that truth. Yeah, everybody wants me to stop at verse 2. Verse 3, we exult in our tribulations. If you suffer for him, you suffer a good thing. We exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character. And proven character, hope. My goodness, that's what it's about, is having some hope. And you can't have hope if you don't have peace. You notice that's what he started with. You were justified, and in that you received peace from him. My goodness. That's worth shouting over. Well, I think I did shout a little bit, so. But I wanted to show you something. What were you like before? Or what are you like today? If you don't know this Savior, if you don't know him, if you've never placed faith in him, if you, if you just say, eh, that's for somebody else. I got too much life I want to live. Oh, I'm going to tell you what, you haven't begun to live life till you meet this Savior. You don't even know what life's like until you meet him. But if you're here today and you're thinking that, oh, okay, so let me show you where you're at today. Or let me show you where you were before you got justified. And remember, the justification came through the work of another. Look what he says in verse 10. Well, let's go to nine. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Oh, my goodness. That's opening a whole other segment. No wrath because of the justification that we've received. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved. You were enemies. You were at enmity with him. You were, you were absolutely against. You, it says that while you, he says, oh, we're going to look at it later. He who knew no sin became sin on your behalf. You were at war with him. You hated him before. If you're here today and you haven't met my Savior, I'm sorry, but I got a Bible that says you don't like me and you don't like him. So how do you get that right standing? Believing on Jesus Christ. One more passage, Colossians 1, 19, 20. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things. Who's the him? It's Jesus Christ. He says, I was pleased to have all my fullness dwell in him. I was 
I was through him reconciliation happened to me it came right to the father he goes I need to be reconciled with and the only way that you can find reconciliation is through my son it's the only way and along with that comes the peace we're talking about but he said reconcile himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven by making war no 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 it says by making peace through his blood shed on a cross he made peace with us right there that's you talk about there's they say you know how many peace treaties there are out there that have been fulfilled none none there's no peace treaties out there that in this world that have ever been fulfilled they've all been broken but God made a treaty with us and he wrote it with blood the blood of his son and it's a treaty that if you enter into that treaty he'll be faithful to it But now he has, verse 22, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, sanctified in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. Oh, my goodness. I am free from accusation. You are free from accusation. And guess what? The way I understand it is the devil's always accusing you of something. But oh, someone sits at the right hand of the Father who's ever interceding for us. Oh, no, 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 wait a minute, God. Wait a minute. I got wounds. I got scars. I paid for that. There'll be no accusation against my child. Second Corinthians 5, 18 through 21. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And that's because of Christ. Because of what Christ did, your sins are not counted against you once you are in him. And then, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Not only were we reconciled, but now the very message that we were reconciled by is now supposed to be in our mouth. You know what? I don't want the world to not have peace. I'd love for people to have peace. You know how you can do that? Tell them about Jesus. Start telling them that they might be reconciled to the Father. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him, had, him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Did you hear that? That's pretty incredible stuff. Not pretty incredible, that's incredible stuff. So that's kind of the nature of peace, the way I see it. And there's some passages there that say how you grasp that peace, how you can get in line to get that peace. The second point is the source of that peace, which I've kind of already told you. Listen to this. My peace I give to you. That's Jesus' words now. He's the one talking in verse 27. We don't have the red letter edition behind me. But that's his words. 
He's saying, my peace, the peace that I have, I give you. Do you, could you tell me one person in life that you know of historically who had peace as they're facing a murderous, cruel death? Can you tell me anyone? Jesus himself, that's it. That's the kind of peace he had. Did he ever get flustered? Did he ever look like he was uh, in turmoil? He faced a lot of turmoil, but he handled it with peace. So uh, it's very interesting, though. I, I just kind of saw this and I wrote it down, and so I, I'm going to say it because I think it's good. Peace that Jesus is speaking of is tied to him personally. That's what makes it transcendent. It's, it's God's peace. So the promise is linked, listen to this, my peace I give to you says the Prince of Peace. He's the Prince of Peace, and he's given you his peace. Now, where did you get that, Larry? Well, we sing it in some of our Christmas carols, for one, but I happen to have a scripture that says this. Isaiah 9, 6. To us the Son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of peace that's who's saying i give you my peace is the prince of peace is saying that this peace is jesus peace which is the thing that makes this peace transcendent it belongs to god romans 15 13 says this may the god of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him oh you see trust has something to do with this peace Faith and trust all has something to do with this peace. So that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, wait a minute. I had a dear brother give me a passage this morning. He didn't know I had trust in my section, I don't think. But let's read it. Psalm 56, verses 3, and I'm going to read 3 and 4. He just told me 3. But I looked at it, I like four too. Listen to this. When I am afraid, when I am afraid, I will put my trust in the government. I will put my trust in uh, the elders. I'll put my trust in the pastors. Oh, no, 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 no. I will put my trust in you, the God of the universe. In God whose word I praise, in God I have put my trust, and I shall not be afraid. You see a relationship? Is, is the word fear, does that seem like a peaceful word to you? Fear? If you're living in fear, you're not living in peace. How can you get out of fear? Trusting in God. How can you get peace? Trusting in God. And his peace is never in question. It never is. It just isn't. He's got a peace that just surpasses all of our understandings, doesn't he? We even have a passage of Scripture that says that. But I want to show you how much he had this incredible peace, this perfect peace that he talks about.
And I think it's Isaiah 23, 6. He talks about the perfect pieces to his. I think I have it later in this, but it's to him that mind is steadfast on the Lord. He'll give them perfect peace. Christ had a perfect trust that went along with a perfect peace. All right? So I, I just want to show you one evidence of his trust level. Well, I'll probably show you more than one, but I'll show you this one first. Hebrews 12, 2. Hebrews 12, 2, he says this. He went to the cross for the joy set before him. He went to the cross for the joy set before him. He, he counted it a joy to go and be brutally murdered like no one. How many of you have seen The Passion of Christ? You know, I, I, I watched it one time. I bought the movie because, oh, i got to have the movie. I've never watched it again. It's just one of those movies I'm like, man, it's so graphic. And listen, I think all the graphicness that they, they portrayed in that particular movie about Christ's death and how he died probably doesn't even compare to what it was really like. I just think it was worse than we can even imagine. But he counted it a joy set before him. Why? Because he trusted the will of his father. And he knew the other side was fulfilling God's commandments in his life. He's like, I counted a joy to go and do the thing my father asked me to do. Because I trust him fully. And I have, I have that perfect peace. What about when he stood before Pilate? This is what he says in John 19, coming up a little bit later. And this is Pilate in verse 10. He says this, do you refuse to speak to me? Remember Christ went silent and wouldn't defend himself? Pilate said, don't you realize that I have the power either to free you or to crucify you? And here's Jesus' response. Another full trust in his father. Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. I have trust in, the, I have trust in this process. I know where I'm going. I know that God's got a plan for me. And I'm trusting him with that plan. Can you trust God with the plan he has for your life? Do you trust God for the plan he has for your life? What about when sufferings come? What about when things don't go the way you want them to? Are you still going to trust him? Or are you going to forfeit the peace that you have available to you? You can do one or the other. Third thing. Incomparable peace. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. The world's peace doesn't compare to this peace. It doesn't. It just, it's, doesn't it's, a, it's like a joke almost. The world only offers temporary or momentary fleeting tranquility. We are, we are by nature enemies of God, so how can we be at peace? The world can offer no peace because we're enemies of God, and the only peace available is from God. Is God going to give you peace when you're his enemy? How can you have enemy, be the enemy and be at peace at the same time? Don't tell me about your marriage. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, but you can't. It doesn't work that way. You can't be at peace and be an enemy at the same time. It does not work. You have to be reconciled. And look what they say in 1 Thessalonians 5, what the world says. We see the unbelievers going to be saying this at the end times. Peace and safety! Peace and safety! Everything's good! What are they telling you now? Everything's good! No, it isn't. It's not good. How many of you are paying more for a gallon of gas today than you were eight months ago? Oh, everything's good. No, it's not good. There is no peace apart from God. 
peace and safety, peace and safety. And destruction is going to come on them suddenly like labor pains on a woman with a child. And look at this. This is a scary thing. And they will not escape. That's the kind of peace. Peace and safety. And yet, they're not going to be able to escape the judgment of God. Listen, you cannot find true peace in ignorance or fantasy. You're not going to find true peace that way. It is only available in Christ. And people in this world lack peace, and it is more than an emotional thing or a circumstantial issue. It really is a theological issue. It's a spiritual issue. Because only those who know Christ will have peace. Final thing, pursuit of peace. Do not let your hearts be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Now, earlier I said it's a gift, and it's just given to you. Now I'm telling you to pursue it. So I'm double speaking a little bit. You have to appropriate things that are promises from God, don't you? You have not because you ask not. Call on me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you. Well, there's deliverance that's promised, but there's an appropriation that I have to do. I have to appropriate that. I have to say, I'm going to call on him in my day of trouble, and then I'll let him deliver me. So this peace is available, but in here he's saying, okay, but you've got to pursue it. You have to pursue that peace. And here's how you pursue it. Don't let your heart be troubled. That seems odd. That seems like a, a not doing something, right? And, and that's true, but you have to acknowledge it. If you had $50 million in your home under your bed and you had bills due, wouldn't you take some of the money and pay it? Yeah, but you'd have to go to the bed and take the money out and pay it, right? So you've got to appropriate that. It's available to you. And how is it available? By not letting your heart be troubled. And he's talking to these men whose hearts are very troubled. Very troubled. His own heart should be troubled. This is Thursday night of Passion Week. Tomorrow night he dies a cruel death on a cross. He's separated from his father tomorrow night. He takes on sin that he's never known before tomorrow night. And yet he stands in the face of these men and says, Peace I give you. Peace I give you. My peace I give you. Look at me. I know I'm dying tomorrow night. Look at me. Take an example. Take a look at me. Psalm 34, 14 says, Seek peace and pursue it. Isaiah 26, 3, You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Their mind has to be engaged. You've got to think. Don't let every wind doctrine or winds that come along blow you from side to side. Start thinking. Get in this book and start seeing what God says about things. Last thing, and I'll go through it quickly. Philippians 4, 6 through 9, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Live in constant joy. You should be living in joy. It says it right there. Rejoice in the Lord. Have joy in the Lord. Be joyful. Do you know anybody that you could say that about in this building or somebody at this church? I hope you can find somebody that says, you say, they got a joyful life. But if we can't, then we need to make some adjustments. We've left behind peace. So coming right off of that, he then goes into this. Do not be anxious about some things. No, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, every situation, I don't care what it is, 
I don't care what you're troubled by today. He's got the answer. In every situation, what are you supposed to do? Listen, by prayer, not talk to the pastor, not talk to the elder, not talk to the deacon, not talk to your neighbor who's going to tell everybody else, not on social media. Don't talk to me about social media. I detest it. By prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving about what? About whatever you've been anxious about. Give thanks to God for that. Thank you, God, that you put my daughter through that circumstance because now she's closer to you. At the time, I didn't see it. Thank you for the seizures that she had. Thank you for the this or whatever that was. Thank you, Lord. Because you've got a plan for that. You're going to do something out of that that I can't see today. So I'm just thanking you in advance. And then present your request to God. Present it. And then look what happens. And the peace of God, the peace of God, which transcends all of our understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Oh my goodness. Everything you need is in that passage to find this peace that we're talking about. It's a systematic thing if you go through it. Whatever is ailing you, whatever's coming. Pastor said one time, you're either in a trial, let's see, you're either headed into a trial, you're in a trial, or you're headed out of a trial. That's just the way it works. That's just how it is. What are you going to do in that trial? You're going to fail it miserably? If you fail it miserably, you're probably going to go through it again. Because God's trying to get you mature. So he allows things to happen for the perseverance that we read about earlier. Finally, brothers and sisters, there, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. You know why you're getting robbed of your peace? Because you're not thinking about these things. You're thinking about the the television program that you're watching, you think that the murder she wrote that you watched last night, everybody in the neighborhood is trying to kill you now. No, think on good things. Think, and look, I'm going to tell you the best place to go to find good things. Right here. Right here. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, Put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Oh my goodness. I needed to be able to study this this week. I needed to hear this this week. I needed to hear this last week and the week before that and the week before that and the year before that. We need to hear this. The only thing that scares me about reading this passage is the last time I preached this passage... My dad died a few days later. But you know what? Because of my trust in the Heavenly Father, I never lost my peace. Because I believe the Word of God is true. And the Word of God said, He ain't dying. He's not going to die. He's just going to step over. One day I'm going to see my dad again. I'm going to see my mom again. I'm going to see my grandma and grandpa. I'm going to see my Aunt Hazel. I'm going to see other Phil and Luella Ross. I can name them. I'm going to see them again. It's as, it's as sure as me standing right here. 
And you think that doesn't give you peace? Oh my goodness, if that doesn't give you peace. Hmm. Well, I ain't done, but I'm finished. Heavenly Father, how we thank you that you designed peace for us. And the world has no way of knowing how to give me peace. They've got no idea how to do it. But you, through the blood of your own Son, have reconciled us to yourself through the work of another, was the only one that would satisfy you. And you've done that. And because of that, I have peace. And, and I love it because I think the Trinity is so involved in peace. In this chapter, it says Jesus gives us peace. In the next chapter, verse 26, it says the Father gives us peace. And then we see in, we see in your Bible that it says the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace. So you're all three involved in the peace that we have within us right now. Thank you for that, Lord. Oh, that we would rely on that peace, that we would stop being anxious, that we would carry out what the Word of God says, that we would change our minds, that we would do the Romans 12, 1 and 2, and that we would say, I'm going to stop being trans, I'm going to stop being conformed to the world, but I'm going to be transformed through the renewing of my mind, and then my trust will grow and my peace will grow with it. Grant it, Lord, grant it. Thank you for your Word today. In the precious name of uh, Jesus Christ, your Son, our beloved Savior. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you.